0: All right, second chapter of Philippians. I want to speak to you this morning on a, uh, a topic that is not, um, <laughs> not real common, not real popular in American culture, um, and that is the issue of humility. Uh, and uh, I, I, I labeled it the high hurdle uh, of humility. It is a, uh, a real hurdle for some people to operate uh, in the idea uh... and practice uh... humility um, leading into this it's interesting if you go back into the gospels uh... you will read there how uh... the book of matthew records for us that uh... near the end of jesus ministry uh... his disciples got uh... right cantankerous uh... they became very uh... competitive uh... in a lot of ways and we see several uh... incidents there uh... that describe that the Probably the major one uh, is, uh, you'll probably remember, uh, the story uh, is recorded for us, how the brothers James and John uh, and their mother uh, came to Jesus. And uh, being the good mother that she was, uh, she went to Jesus and uh, requested that her sons uh, get a special place uh, in heaven, uh, that they be treated uh, extra nice. Uh, When they got to heaven, well, uh, you know, this set off uh, quite the little uh, furor among the disciples, uh, led to some accusations and uh, and difficulties that uh, actually... Uh, I believe when you put the Gospels together, uh, we see kind of carried on for a little while. That uh, this kind of was a, uh, a burr in some folks' saddle for a while. Uh, that, uh, you know, here, who do they think they are? Uh, that they're going to get a special place uh, in heaven. In fact, uh, it appears uh, that uh, it carried all the way in uh, to the Passover, into the Last Supper, uh, that as uh, they gathered... Uh, And then we take, uh, and as we look there, uh, we find out, Uh, that they had made preparation uh, and secured the room and everything they would need uh, to celebrate the Passover. Uh, Except for one thing, uh, they didn't have anybody lined up. They didn't have anybody uh, secured to wash the feet um, and uh, to wash the disciples' feet uh, as they gathered. And so the disciples uh, came in, and again you have to remember, uh, they didn't arrive by vehicle. They walked everywhere they went uh, and they wore sandals. And so uh, as they arrived, uh, their feet were nasty. Uh, I mean, there's just you know no other way to put it. Uh, and then the second thing about that is to remember uh, that they didn't eat at a table in chairs like you and I do. Uh, they would sit down and kind of spread out. And so your feet the only, was just up in everybody else's business, and so uh, I mean that's the only way I know how to put it. Uh, you know, you, you know, uh, you think it's bad sitting beside of somebody who swings elbows. Uh, you know, imagine sitting beside of somebody uh, who's been out walking down a dirt road all day and hadn't washed their feet, uh, and you're sitting there. What's that smell? You know, uh, you know, it's not Taco Bell. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, what is that? And so it was, you know, it was important in a lot of ways uh, for the foot washing uh, to take place. But um, as they gathered there, uh, certainly none of them were going to wash the other one's feet. Um, and in fact, uh, washing feet uh, was considered such a um, lowly, dirty job uh, that it was actually, the rabbis uh, had taught uh, that it was forbidden uh, to compel uh, another Hebrew uh, to even a slave. Uh, you couldn't have another, you couldn't make one, Uh, now they chose to, fine, but you couldn't order uh, even your slave, uh, if they were a Hebrew, uh, to wash your feet, and so they've gathered now, uh, and they're all uh, gathered around uh, the table, uh, and... Uh, Again, nothing is, uh, you know, everybody's feet's dirty, nobody's going to wash the feet. Uh, And Jesus comes in uh, and realizes what's going on, uh, gets up, gets a basin of water and a towel, and proceeds to start himself around the room, slowly but certainly gently washing and taking the towel and drying each of the disciples' feet. We read in the book of John that Jesus said these words, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him." If you can imagine at that point, I, I can only imagine that at that point, uh, the disciples felt uh, about this talk. Uh, you can somewhat imagine as Jesus began to work his way around the room, washing feet, uh, that they that deer-in-the-headlight mouth hung open. Uh, I can only, again, imagine as I think about it, there was probably some conversation going on, probably a little tense again because there was still some rumblings from James and John and their mother, and so there was probably a little bit of tension in the room, and, and, and they probably didn't notice at first, but as they, as they slowly began to realize what Jesus was doing, the volume level just finally went to zero as Jesus began to work his way around the room. And Jesus used this logic. Uh, It's ancient logic uh, that says, if it's true for the greater, it's true for the lesser. In other words, if Jesus was saying, if it's true for me, it's true for you, because I am greater than you. And so if I can wash your feet, you can wash each other's feet. And we today are just like those men uh, in that Last Supper, in that uh, upper room uh, on that occasion uh, in, in many times. I found uh, a poem, uh, well, not really a poem, uh, but a, 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 a thing uh, written by uh, a man named Robert Rain. Let me just read that to you. It says, I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage. I exploit people, ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank checks for whatever I want. I am like James and John. In this passage this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, what humility looks like. Uh, and last week we looked uh, at the first few verses, and they talk about Unity, unity, and humility here uh, in this opening in these opening verses of chapter two uh, are are two of the characteristics uh, that should uh, mark any body of believers. There should be unity, and there should be humility. And I would suggest to you that without one, you can't have the other. Uh, This is not like uh, going to K and W and saying, "Can I serve you bread, please?" and you saying, "I'll take a little bit of unity, but I don't want." Humility. Uh, now, it it comes as, you know, it's like turkey and dressing. It comes uh, on the same plate. Uh, chicken and dumplings. It comes uh, together. Unity and humility uh, are uh, bookends uh, of the same uh, equation. And so uh, we've talked about unity, and uh, for there really to be unity, there has to be uh, humility uh, in our life as well. And we're going to talk about uh, this requirement and and Paul is going to use for us uh, the ultimate example uh, of humility and that is uh, Jesus Christ as we've already uh, talked about from the Gospels how he uh, exemplified humility uh, in uh, his work uh, with the disciples let's look uh, beginning in verse 5 uh, at uh, how Paul deals with this issue uh, of uh, humility. In verse 5, uh, he says, Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so uh, he has these words for us. Uh, he uses again Christ as the ultimate example. He says, let this mind, the same mind that Christ had, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, it's kind of faded out of uh, popularity. You don't see it very often anymore. Uh, but for uh, a while, everywhere we looked, you saw what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do comes back to what would the mind Mind of Christ tell us, and so uh, Paul is saying, let's let's think like Jesus, and if you think like Jesus, then uh, by extension, he says, uh, you will end up ultimately uh, that you will uh, act. Like Jesus, when, when Paul says here the the mind uh, of Christ, he first of all uh, again is telling us uh, he's giving us this advice. Uh, he is saying to us uh, to have the same attitude. Uh, that may be a better word uh, for you and I today than even uh, the idea of, of the mind. He's saying have the same uh, attitude uh, that Christ had. Well, we see Christ's attitude demonstrated to us uh, there in the upper room. Uh, he demonstrates uh, his attitude as he goes uh, and uh, and shows uh, these disciples, uh, here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to, to wash your feet. I'm willing to stoop down. Uh, the King of Kings, the Master, the Savior, uh, I am willing uh, to come. Uh, again, They, they regardless of, of, of what at this point they understood about Jesus, and that's Uh, debatable what they exactly understood about who he was and and what his mission was but here's what they did uh, acknowledge about Jesus they did acknowledge that he was their master on several occasions we see them calling him master now whether they Meant anything about uh, the Son of God? Whether they meant anything about uh, being—I I, don't—you know—we can argue that uh, all day long. But what we can what, what we can settle on is beyond a doubt they considered him their master, their leader. And again, it was illegal; it was against the rules to compel a Jew, even a slave, to wash your feet. And here they sit, and their master is washing their feet. And so Jesus was doing something that they couldn't even make a Hebrew slave do. And so his attitude is demonstrated here. Uh, And uh, again, we, we see that. And so what Paul is saying to us is your attitude should be the same as Christ, your attitude uh, towards each other, your attitude towards the body, your attitude towards strangers. your As we look, we see Jesus Christ's attitude demonstrated throughout the Gospels uh, towards the sick, towards the sinner, towards uh, even His enemy. We, we see His attitude. And Paul is saying uh, that we have that same Attitude. Uh, we know that attitude. What was that attitude? That attitude was selfless. That attitude was sacrificial. That attitude was, uh, I will give of myself. We see the, the greatest portrayal there uh, on the cross of the attitude uh, of Jesus Christ. I will give myself for someone else's Christ. I will pay the penalty uh, for the crime of someone else. Jesus. Attitude is what Paul uh, is telling us. Uh, and so uh, what we have is a fundamental, I believe, change uh, in the way many of us uh, approach life, uh, the way we approach church, the way we approach each other, uh, that Paul says you approach them, you deal with them with a different attitude. Attitude determines outcome. Attitude determines altitude. Uh, you know, how you, the, the fault you have towards others, he says, uh, determines how we act. And we can see both the attitude of Jesus, and we see the outcome of that attitude. We see his attitude there in the upper room as he gets up and washes the feet uh, of. Uh, His disciples. We see the attitude of Jesus there on the hillside uh, as those that are gathered there are hungry. And Jesus feeds the hungry. We see the attitude of Jesus when he says, when the Bible says He, he was dining with the sinners. Uh, he went to the lepers. We can see the attitude uh, of, the, uh, of Jesus when He sees the crippled man on the Sabbath and, and heals him on the Sabbath and says healing this man is more important than all the fake laws that Jew, uh, the Jewish priest uh, had made up. We see both the attitude and the outcome and Paul is telling us to have that same attitude the problem is we want the outcome without the attitude we want the outcome without the attitude we see people flocking to Jesus Christ we see the great work that Jesus uh, accomplished oh we want to see that in our day We want to see that in our churches. We want to see people flocking to hear the gospel. We're trying to get to the outcome before we get the attitude. The attitude of Jesus, the humility uh, that He demonstrated, the humility uh, that He shared. He says, think this. Literally what He says is, think this among yourself. That's literally what the words here mean. Think this among yourself. In other words, what he was saying, Paul's issue here was not that just that that Tommy would have the attitude of Christ. His issue, his desire here was that as a congregation, that it's something that spread across the body of Christ that it dealt with how we, again, interact with each other, how we go about being who we are. It says, have this among yourself. Again, as the saying goes, a chain is only as uh, strong as its weakest link. And so Paul is saying that we should all be developing this this attitude uh, of humility, that we would live out among ourselves this same attitude. One of the ways that I think about that statement, that you had this mind among yourself, would have been, and I may be stretching this just a little, uh, but go with me here, that I, one of the ways I can picture this and portray this, uh, this attitude among yourself playing out, would have been when Jesus got up in that room and got a basin of water and a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet, if one of the other disciples would have got up and said, let me help. And then another disciple would have got up and said, let me help. And before long, all those in that room were washing and caring for each other. That's when we have that attitude among ourselves. It's not just, it's not enough. It's not what God is describing here for the pastor or for the deacons or one or two people to have humility and compassion for the congregation. What he's describing is a joint humility that brings us together, each one thinking more of the other than he does himself. It goes against everything we're taught as Americans. It goes against everything we're taught, uh, 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 everything we're teaching our children uh, in, in this society today, that we humble ourselves. Have this mind among yourself, in your interaction. Paul was encouraging them. He was saying to them, have, let, let's have something happen corporately. Well, let's have something happen to the body. Not just a few of you. Let's let that be, you know, let's let that be the trait of the church. You know, let, let it not be said that down at Poplar Grove, yeah, there's two or three people who are really humble. Who really have the attitude, the mind of Christ. Paul's goal was that they would say, hey, down at Philippi, that whole body is united in the mind and the attitude of Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says about a little bit of leaven, right? A little bit of yeast. A little bit of yeast. Ruins, can not necessarily ruins, but a little bit of yeast can leaven the whole loaf. A little bit of pride can ruin the whole body. Paul is saying let us corporately have this mindset. Let us corporately humble uh, ourselves. Imagine for a moment if you can this tremendous step down that Christ took in leaving glory to come to earth. It, it, it is literally impossible to imagine and understand the amount of humility it took on his part to leave the right hand of the Father and come and walk on this earth. And yet, that's exactly what he did, and that's exactly what we're being called to do. Listen, this, uh, it, it is, someone has said this, and I'd like to give him credit, it says, it is the opportunity of eternity. To have the mind of Christ. To think, to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. It is the opportunity of eternity. Not the opportunity of a lifetime. So, that's the advice. What's the attitude? Well, what exactly does it mean to have the attitude uh, of Jesus? Let's talk about the, the attitude that is portrayed. Look at the next verse, in verse 6. He says this, talking about Jesus. He says, Who, Thou, though he was in the form of God, did not count, it equality, with God, uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Calvin says, When it talks about form here, it's talking about the majesty of God. Not just the shape, but the literal majesty of God. Man, we are known by our form, right? Yeah, I I remember um, Myrtle Blackwell. Some of you will remember Myrtle. As her eyesight began to deteriorate, she told me, she says, I can't see features on a person. I can't see your your eyes, your nose, but I can see your outline, and I pretty much know, you know, if I know, you know, I can kind of get an idea of who it is. We know each other by our form. God is known by His Majesty. We don't know His form. Well, we don't we don't know. We know His Majesty. And so when he says here that he left, he had the form of God, he had the very majesty of God, he was equal with God, it says. It says he was, had that majesty. He, he had the equality with God. And he says he didn't see that as something to use for his benefit. Bear with me as my... Heavenly imagination takes a little detour. No indication that this ever happened. No clue whatsoever. I'm not suggesting it did happen. I'm playing. Okay? The father and the son one day are having a conversation. And the father says, I want you to go to earth, and I want you to walk among those people, and after about three years you're going to be crucified and die for their sin. The son, according to what Paul writes here, that even though he was equal with the father, he didn't consider that equality to be something he would use for his own advantage. In other words, when the father, making it up, making it up, making it up, camera, making it up. When they had this kind con- Jesus didn't turn to the Father and say, but let them go. Or let me put this, something Kenny or Tommy, some of you in business can probably identify with. Jesus didn't look at the Father and go, it ain't my job. He didn't count his equality. He didn't use it as a way to get out of coming and serving and being a sacrificial lamb. That's the attitude we're talking about. An attitude that rather than saying, no, I don't want to give up my majesty. I don't want to give up my position here in glory. I don't want to leave your right hand. I'm going to cling to it because it's my right that's another popular phrase today. It's not fair. There's another one. When people tell me it's not fair, it's not fair. I tell them the fair will be here in September. No such thing as fair. Get over it. His attitude. Paul says he didn't consider that equality. He didn't consider his position as something to <clears throat> to hold on to. He was willing to lay aside His... Listen, when you and I, what's comical, is had Jesus said, No, I'm the Son of God, I'm not going. He'd have had every right to do that. If He would have said, Uh-uh, I'm the second part of the Trinity. I'm the Son of God. I'm equal to you. I'm not going. He would have had. He would have been well within his rights to let us die in our sin. Amen? But he chose to say, I'll lay it aside and go. Now here's the funny thing. When we say, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's, that's beneath me. That's not something I'm... We don't have that right. Because our very breath depends on Him. Amen. That's the attitude Jesus portrayed. He says, I'll give all of that up. I'll, I'll leave glory. I'll leave the angels. I'll leave my throne. I'll leave... Behind part of, again, he gave up his omnipresence to take on the of humanity of man and come walk among us. He gave up part of he gave up part of his rights that were his undeniably. He laid them aside and said, "I'll do this for them." That's the attitude of Jesus Christ he came to meet our needs he didn't need Jesus didn't need to come to earth Jesus didn't need to die on a cross Jesus didn't need to go to a tomb but he did that he laid it aside he was willing listen verse 6 tells us uh, when you look there he says he didn't consider it something uh, to be grasped Something to be selfishly held on to. He took His rights. He took His position. And He laid them down. And He came to earth. And died on a cross. That's the attitude. Listen. That unselfish compassion that He had for others. Listen. It's an attitude that says, I cannot keep my privileges for myself. I've got to use them for somebody else. That's what Jesus does. I will lay them aside, and I will pay whatever price is necessary. You see the attitude. You see the appearance presented. Look at the next verse. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. You see that? Previous verse said he had the form, he was equal with God. This verse says he laid that aside and took on the form of man. He did that. Again, that word emptying that is used there means he made himself nothing. And he came. We see how he pours himself out. What this... Picture is the word emptied. It, it, it's the image of pouring everything out of a vase, everything out of a container, shaking out the very last drop. He came and, and, and appeared here and, and appeared uh, in, uh, in in this way. Again, he laid aside um, some of his rights I mentioned a while ago. His omnipresence. He laid aside uh, his right to experience glory. He left aside glory to come here. You know, we say that many times at funerals. Oh, they'd never leave that to come back here. Jesus did. Jesus did. He He left every bit of it. He left His Father. He left His Majesty. He left every bit of that and came here. Listen, He laid aside His whole appearance in heaven. He laid aside all the honor and the glory of being the the Son of God in heaven. He laid that aside to come here and appear in the form of man. A man who the Bible says didn't even have a place to lay his head. Who basically lived on this earth as a pauper going from field to field, eating what the harvesters had left behind, being rejected and abused. That's how His humility appeared. That's how His sacrifice appeared. And He took, here He says, the form of man. He came here. Listen, the step down was so great. One commentator says this, says it's not even called the humility of Christ, it's called the humiliation of Christ. That's what it looked like. That's what humility looks like. To leave behind all those things that you have every right to and empty it. He didn't come again. And he didn't come to earth as some great prince. He came, he was born in a manger, you know, born, you know, in, in the a, a, what we would call today a busted home. You know, grew up probably laboring hard in, in, in Joseph's carpentry shop. Jesus' 33 years, not just the crucifixion, but His 33 years were a hard 33 years. And He left glory. And He left sitting on the throne to do that for you and I. Died in disgrace. Died in uh, 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 the, the most humiliating, vicious form of death that, a per, that, that man has ever created. He did that. That's what humility looked like in Jesus' life. The actions produced. And I've already touched on this. Look what he says finally in verse 8. When he says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The message for the Philippians, the message for you and I today, is, is, is really clear here. Jesus humbled himself, set aside his rights, set aside his position to go and to sacrifice himself for someone else. Back up with me. Hope you kept your Bibles open. Back up with me in this passage to Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 where Paul says these words, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but to the interest of others if there was a picture attached to those two verses it would be the picture of jesus thinking not of your own interest but the interest of others thinking not of yourself but of someone else his humiliation brought about obedience see here's the reality folks the reason that many today are disobedient to God is because we have never allowed ourselves to be humbled we have never set aside our rights our desires our demands and said Lord I am yours I am yours Use me, take me, place me wherever you want me to be. Listen, the cross was so vile that in proper Roman um, culture, community, they wouldn't even talk about the cross. That's how vile it was. But Jesus' humility sitting there. What is Christ, what, what, Paul make of that? Again, back in verses 3, he says, Don't look to your own interest. Don't do it. But to the interest of each other. Don't do anything from selfish ambition. Was there any selfish ambition in Christ going to the cross? Tell me one thing Christ gained from going to the cross that he didn't already have. Tell me one thing, one benefit Christ got from the cross. Would he have been, was he somehow, did he somehow become more God because he died on the cross? Did he somehow become more, uh, more holy? no, Christ is the, he was the same. We benefited. He didn't, it wasn't for his interest. It was for yours and ours. That's what He means by humility. That's what He means uh, for you and I. It's the, the call of Christ. Uh, what, what Paul is saying is for all of us. Whether you're poor or rich, whatever position you have, whoever you think you are, whoever you don't think you are. He says we think more highly of others than we do ourselves. We sacrifice our desires for others. We look out. He talk about the attitude of Christ. We look out for the interest of others more than ourselves. That's not American, folks. That's not human. That's Christian. That's a work that God has done. Jesus said, if go back to that verse I read a while ago. If I and your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. I have shown you what I want you to do. I have shown you what I want you to be. I want you to be more concerned about others than yourself. A man by the name of J.B. Phillips wrote a thing called The Angel's Point of View. Um, again, it's imaginary. It's not real. It didn't really happen. So don't go looking for it in the Bible. It's not there. But listen to this story. It's a story. It's a, an imaginary conversation of a young angel with an older angel, being shown around the glories and the splendors of heaven. And as they traveled around, the little angel was starting to get tired and a little bored. He had been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space. And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small, rather insignificant sphere, turning slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and the glory of all that he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied the senior angel solemnly, is the... Visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by... Indeed I do. That ball which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps overclean, has been visited by our young Prince of Glory. At these words, he bowed his head reverently. From there, the story goes on. The junior angel goes through a series of revelations about Christ and his coming to earth that leaves the angel stunned and amazed. This morning, we live on that visited planet. We live on a planet where that young prince of glory laid aside his authority, his power, his glory, his majesty, and came and walked among us to be an example of who we are to be. Humble enough to put the needs of the body ahead of ourselves. Unity and humility. Two, peas from the same pot that make the church make a believer who God wants them to be. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Christians all over this room, I want to ask you, I want you to take what we discussed last week, the idea of unity, and this week the idea of humility, and ask yourself, are those my characteristics? Lord, make me humble. I want the same attitude, the same mind that Jesus had. Can we pray together this prayer? Lord, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. You're here today and you don't know Christ. A lot of what we've talked about this morning was how Christ came to this earth, how he laid aside his glory, how he laid aside his position. And He came to this earth to die on a cross. If you don't know Him personal this morning as, as your Lord and Savior, would you come today and let me show you from God's Word how you can be saved, how you can know Him today. you're joining us online, would you call, send an email, reach out. I'll, I'll be glad to spend time with you as well. I don't want anybody to leave here today not knowing the King of Glory. Do you have that attitude? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we ask you today that you would stir our hearts. God, we've talked about unity. We've talked about humility. Two characteristics that go against all of human nature. They go against our sinful self. God, to set aside our own wants, our own desires our own ambitions, our rights for the needs and the assistance and the support of our brothers and sisters. God, I believe that's what you mean for the church to be, what you mean for Christians to do. So God, today I pray that all over this room, across the internet, God, our hearts would be humbled. God, help us to have the mind that, that, that Jesus Christ had. Not clinging to our position. Not clinging to our rights. But God, humbly, humbly serving you and serving others. God, if there's one that doesn't know Christ, that doesn't know Him personally, the sacrifice that He made, God, would you stir their heart, and today would be the day of salvation we give you the glory for it all, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention this morning. Um, I did want to say this. Is that thing red, you? Cut that thing off, Caleb.